So our prayer, our statement for the next nine weeks as we uh, work through uh, this new series, um, Message and Mission, uh, Gospel-Shaped Outreach. Uh, the curriculum, again, is called Gospel-Shaped Outreach, and so um, we have that resource that we'll be working through together. It's a nine-week series, so today is week one of nine. Uh, last week was a, a Vision Sunday. We reviewed our mission, uh, which is to enjoy and extend the grace of God together. Uh, tied that to our vision, because what is our preferred outcome? How do we know if we're accomplishing our mission? Uh, we enjoy and extend the grace of God together so that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, we say in Rose Hill as it is in heaven, because we are here locally for a specific purpose um, for this community um, to reach it for Jesus and minister in Jesus' name. Uh, this ties into our mission and vision. They tie into the Missio Dei, the mission of God, which is to reconcile all things to himself through Jesus. And so uh, that's what we were talking about last week. Uh, also mentioned that it's a crucial season for us, for the vitality of our church, the sustainability of our church. Uh, we need to be introducing more people to Jesus, connecting more people to the church in order to keep pursuing the vision and mission uh, that he's called us to. And so uh, to that end, uh, that's where this series comes in. I mentioned Friday night with our group, it's not a silver bullet. I don't think that just teaching this material is going to uh, make everything turn around and, and uh, see the, uh, the vision and mission come to fruition. Uh, but hopefully it works in us as we are challenged by the material to engage it, to apply it. Uh, we'll start to see some of the things that God has called us to. And he will find us faithful in the things he's called us to. Um, today we will begin with uh, how are we doing? Uh, it's a diagnostic lesson, kind of like the whole series of James where it was a mirror that we held up to ourselves uh, to kind of see God's standard and how we compare to that, how we fall short of that, and where we can make adjustments. Uh, this first week is just kind of that taking the temperature uh, of ourselves as individuals and of our church, how are we doing with our outreach, with our evangelistic approach and engagement? We're going to be in Romans 1 this morning, uh, so we're going to start turning there. We'll be in Romans 1, verses 13 through 17. Uh, let me say uh, just one more prayer, and then we will dive into God's Word together. God, I pray uh, that this series is something that transforms um, not just us, that we become uh, more, more fervent, more effective, more prolific, more comfortable with outreach. Uh, but God, that it is something that we see um, allows you to transform the lives of others, that we would be that conduit, that we would be the, the ambassadors, the messengers, the proclaimers of your message, um, that we'll see, uh, just like Paul today, that he's, he wants to be a part of this ministry you've called him to, that he can see you transform lives just like you transformed his. And so, uh, I pray that that's our heartbeat as a church, as individuals, um, that we would be found faithful um, to proclaim, to share, and extend your grace to others. So work in us, God, um, to be more like Jesus. Amen. So Romans 1, verses 13 through 17. It's the letter that Paul has written to the believers uh, in Rome. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This passage begins with Paul letting the people in Rome know that he wants to come and preach the gospel in their city. Uh, And he first writes that he wants to be a part of the harvest among them, which we'll look at more in a few moments as we discuss his eagerness. But uh, in verse 14, he mentions his obligation to share the gospel. And this is our first diagnostic question as we consider how we're doing with outreach. Do we sense our obligation to share? The word obligation refers to owing a debt to someone. If you find yourself indebted, you have an obligation to repay them. You owe them. You're responsible for settling up. Obligation can come from having received something, from committing or promising to do something, or from being simply told to do something by an authority in our lives. There's just this sense of oughtness. So the debt, the thing to be owed, it could be something that you could count, something that's quantifiable, something that you could, um, or it could be a matter, again, of oughtness, of obligation, of just simply needing to do what is right. Um, It might just be a matter of obedience, right, that creates in us an obligation to do something. Spiritually, there's a debt owed because as believers, we owe a debt. We've had a huge debt covered for us by someone else. See, we're born with a sinful nature, and from the moment that our life begins, we are set on self. Our hearts are bent towards self. And our disobedience towards God, our disobedience against His will, it's called sin, and it's earned us eternal punishment. But God, right? God has initiated reconciliation toward us in sending Jesus. And Jesus lived the sinless life we could never have lived, and he laid down his life to pay the price for the sins of others, and then he places his righteousness on us. Because while we could receive the punishment for our sin, we could never reconcile ourselves to God. So again, it's this matter of the gospel taking us from negative, past neutral, to positive. So Jesus takes us from negative, headed for punishment, past neutral, which would be just taking the punishment away, to positive and blessing us, reconciling us to God, and becoming co-heirs with him, blessing us with every spiritual blessing. In this, we find our indebtedness to Jesus, our obligation or our oughtness, because simply even just transactionally, we are not square. We are not even. So there's a responsibility to try and make good on what we owe. Sadly, we often lose sight of even this obligation. We're prone to believe we deserve what Jesus did for us or that our sin isn't so bad that we to have demanded his sacrifice. This reveals in us a too small view of our sin and a too good view of ourselves. The basic lack of understanding or remembering our spiritual state before trusting our lives to Jesus and being made alive in him. Paul remembered. He didn't lose sight of this, and we should remember as well. But our obligation and obedience to Jesus, they're not efforts to repay him. We need to be clear on this. Yes, we should recognize that we are indebted to Jesus for what he's done to save us, but we must also recognize that we could never repay him for what he's done. Jesus saved us out of love, not out of a desire to collect interest or even to be repaid at all. There are no conditions on his love toward us. When you really love someone and just want to bless them, you sometimes give them gifts or serve them in some way simply to be a blessing. 
but we want the scales to balance, right? It doesn't make sense to us. This idea of grace, it doesn't make sense, being loved or blessed with no strings attached. But when we do get a sense of this amazing grace, when our hearts open to the floodgates of God's mercy and love toward us, we obey and we share and we serve Jesus, not out of obligation, but out of eagerness. This is our second diagnostic question. The first is, do we sense our obligation? The second, are we eager to share? Paul declares that he is eager to preach the gospel in Rome as he has to others. It's not simply obligation that motivates Paul to, be, uh, to begrudgingly proclaim the good news of Jesus. Like it's just something he has to do. It's a job that he doesn't like, but he knows he has to. That's not where he is. He is delighted to share the message of God's grace with others. And he tells us why in verses 16 and 17, and also in verse 13, which we'll get to a little bit later. But in verses 16 and 17, Paul explains the power of the gospel, the power of the transformational good news that every believer knows. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Paul is eager to share salvation with everyone because he understands a few things. First, he understands the amazing grace he's been shown. Maybe my favorite passage in all of Scripture, 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, Paul writes. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In this passage, Paul calls himself the foremost or chief or top sinner. This is a man who understands how undeserving of salvation he was. So he, was, he has a big view of God's grace. Paul understands that Jesus has shown him tremendous grace, and he understands that Jesus can use his story of redemption as an example of God's perfect patience towards other sinners. So Paul is eager to share the good news. He wants others to be saved as he has been saved. This reveals a second thing that Paul understands. Not only that he's been shown tremendous grace, but there, there is plenty of this grace to go around. Paul knows that the well of God's grace won't run dry. Sometimes we act as if there is only enough grace for us, and so we keep it to ourselves. We're not sure. We don't trust that there's enough to go around, and so we want to make sure we have enough that we're covered. This is a twisted view of God's grace. It reveals yet again a lack of faith in us, right? It's a, a lack that, of faith that God will provide for us, His promise to provide for us. It's like uh, our kids drinking from Danielle's water bottle. Um, we choose our battles at home. This is one that I have, am still fighting. When they grab my water bottle, I say, nope, I don't share. Mama does, I don't. She's, you know, not going to die on that hill, so that's fine. Uh, and so they'll drink out of her water bottle. They're eager to drink out of her water bottle, but they're not eager to share her water bottle with their siblings, which makes no sense, right? Because we just say, look, there's a tap right there, and we can just take that empty water bottle right there and just fill it back up over and over and over and over again. But they think there may not be enough to go around, and so they hoard it to themselves. It's also kind of like um, in the movie The Office Space, not The Office Space, just Office Space, 
Um, there's this one guy in the office who always gets the short end of the stick, and they're having an office birthday party, and they're cutting up the cake and passing around the cake, and he's in the front, and they keep telling him to pass the cake, pass the cake, and he's like, oh, you can see him just like worrying, like we're going to run out of cake, and they do. And, but they're like, Pat Milton, keep passing. And so he's like, oh, he keeps passing the cake. And at the end, he doesn't get a piece of cake. This is not how it is with the grace of God. Paul knows that Jesus offers grace upon grace. We need to remember that Jesus offers grace upon grace. And this will fuel our eagerness to share. The third thing that Paul realizes is that he is not the arbiter of God's grace. Paul doesn't decide who gets God's grace and who doesn't. Paul is a messenger. He's an ambassador. He's a herald, right? He is taking message and authority from someone else to pass on to others. He is not given authority or permission to withhold that message or that grace from anyone else. The authority to determine who receives God's grace rests with God. It's not our job. But just like we tend to think God's grace might run out, we also tend to think that we should be able to decide who is worthy of God's grace. This goes back to having a small view of our sin, of not realizing that we could compete with Paul for that title of chief sinner, foremost sinner. No one deserves God's grace. That's what makes it grace. It's when we understand how offensive our sin is and how sweet God's grace is and how undeserving of it that we are that we grow in eagerness to extend it to others. And there's a, a humility in all of this that should make us grateful to even be invited into the mission of God in this capacity. We get to be the ambassadors, the messengers, the ministers of reconciliation. Paul shows signs of this gratefulness in verse 13, which I connected to his eagerness at the top of the message. Paul mentions that he is intended to come before that he might reap some harvest among them. I see this as an eagerness, a desire to be used by God in the redemption of sinners. Paul knows that he is not saving anyone, but that he can have a front row seat and a role in the process of introducing people to Jesus. I mentioned this last week during our Vision Sunday. I believe that if we don't engage in the work that God has planned for us in this community, that someone else will come in and reap the harvest. We will probably have others work alongside us as we engage in the work that he has for us. It's not a matter of competing, right? It's not a matter of we want to get the work done so that no one else can experience it. It's just a matter of we want to experience that blessing as well, of getting to take part in the ministry not interested in, in stealing ministry opportunities from other places. We just want to be a part of it. We want to get in on the party. We want to get in on the action of what God is doing. This is what Paul is desiring in his eagerness to go to Rome. He knows someone else can and will extend God's grace there, but he desires to be a part of it. He longs to see the power of God for salvation at work in people's lives for himself. His eagerness is a fire that compels him. If you think I'm granting too much power to his eagerness, listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.16. He writes, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He needs to share the gospel. He's wishing woe upon himself if he doesn't share the gospel. He knows that he's a lot of things. Paul has done a lot in his life, but his primary mission is to herald the good news 
of Jesus to others. Paul says he is unashamed of the gospel. We hide things we're ashamed of. We share openly the things that we're not ashamed of. I heard an interview recently with uh, actress Allison Janney where she was led to recount a really tragic event in her life that most people had never heard about. Uh, now, Allison Janney is an Academy Award-winning, multiple Emmy-winning, award-winning actress. Uh, and this is what most people know about her, right? That she's an actress and a very good one and very, um, she's got a lot of awards and accolades. But few people, even the interviewers, who in this case were fellow celebrities, and a couple of them were actually friends of hers who have known her for a while, had not heard this story. And as she's telling it, they're like, oh my goodness. And as I'm listening to it as, a, as an audience person on this podcast, thinking, oh my goodness. What a, I mean, it sounds like a movie, this tragic event that unfolded in her life. Few people know this about her. Even her friends who were interviewing her know that she was a great athlete growing up until she fell through a sliding glass door, which severed some really important areas in her leg, which meant she couldn't compete from that point on. I think she was a senior in high school when this happened, a junior senior in high school. And it almost killed her. She lost a lot of blood. It's a huge turning point in her life, this tragic event, and there's some circumstances around it that uh, make it just uh, really embarrassing and shameful in the moment, uh, especially for a high school student and the circumstances around um, how it unfolded. She was just super embarrassed at that time. It's a huge turning point, though, in her life that really pivoted her to where she is today. But she carries kind of that shame, that memory, and of course the trauma of such a huge event in her life, so kind of mortified by, the, by those moments that she's not keen to flaunt or share that story. And I'm not saying that she should be. I'm not saying she should be proud of this horrific incident. But I think about how her shame over that event kept the story hidden from even her friends. And it's such a big, huge thing that happened in her life. Now think about Paul. Paul had a really impressive worldly resume, things that he could say, these are all the accomplishments I've done, the education I have, and the position I had in society, and the position I had um, in, in religious authority. But he has devoted his life to sharing the biggest story of his life with others. He doesn't boast in his resume. He boasts in the life-changing, transformational story of the gospel. And now think about yourself. Think about us. If we're believers, if we've stepped from darkness to light, from death to life. We've been giving everlasting life and every spiritual blessing in Jesus. We once were headed to eternal punishment and wrath, but now are headed to abundant life forevermore as co-heirs with Christ. Shouldn't that be a story that people are aware of? It may not be the first thing you tell everyone, but shouldn't it be something that, uh, that people who know us aren't surprised to hear? If we know someone for a while, for them to say, oh, I, I did not know that you were a person who follows Jesus. It shouldn't be a surprise to people, especially if they've known us for a while. And so to kind of dig through that, we have nothing to be ashamed of in the gospel, right? Paul understood this. The question is, do we understand this? Are we eager do we sense our obligation to share the gospel with others? And are we eager to share the gospel with others? Are we unashamed like Paul? If not, why not? Right? These are the questions we need to face. This is what we're diving into this week. What keeps us from remembering what Jesus has done for us? 
what obstacles, um, what selfish desires, what conveniences or comforts, what fears keep us from feeling eager and unashamed to share the gospel with others. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us um, this amazing story to tell others. And often we feel like maybe we're inadequate to kind of string together or articulate how it needs to be said, but God, you've given us everything we need. If we have trusted our lives to you, surrendered our lives to you, we know what it takes to become a Christian. If we've surrendered our lives to you, your word tells us that you've given us your Holy Spirit to indwell us and empower us and equip us. So we, we have the power within us. We have uh, the story. Uh, we know the truth. So God, usually what it comes down to, and this is the, the hard, uncomfortable truth that we're facing today, is uh, we know what we ought to be doing and we're just not doing it. And God, I don't expect, uh, you might, you might do this, you did this with, with Paul, but I don't really expect anyone to go from uh, not sharing at all to, to being just this super uh, share with everyone all the time kind of person. But God, you can, you can move the needle in our lives. You can, you can show us opportunities. You can show us the people around us and how we can take conversations and turn them Jesus-word how we can turn them Godward, how we can inject hope, how we can drop references to the hope that we have and point people to the fact that we believe in something greater than ourselves. We've devoted our lives to someone greater than ourselves because we have been saved. We've had a debt covered that we could never repay. And it's this great love, this grace towards us, God, that I pray motivates us to be eager to share that this grace never runs out. That's not a matter of we found it and we're going to keep it to ourselves. It's a matter of we found it and there's enough for everyone. Come. Come and see. Come and taste. Come and drink from the fountain of God's grace. God, give us eagerness. Create in us a sense of obligation and eagerness. Remove the shame that we might feel over whatever it is so that we might point people, more people to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.